This is Raptors Shootaround. It's on to the finals. A TSN 1050 playoff special. Oh, baby, what a play. The Raptors and the NBA Finals live here. Yes, guy. Again with the feeble yes guy. Arad, how about this? Oh, yes guy. That'll appear in tomorrow's show. Hour number two, Raptors Shootaround. Jim Taddy with you until noon. Then Andy Petrello and Leafs lunch for an hour. Then Matt Cause for three hours. And then... Noodles, O-Dog, and Brian Hayes with Overdrive from 4 to 7 tomorrow night at 7 o'clock pregame show Game 3 live here from the studio as uh, Matt Cos will join me. We'll have Dwayne Watson on site at the Oracle and then, of course, the game and the postgame. And, wow, this is uh, talking about anticipation. Coming up in this hour of the broadcast, the final hour, we're going to hear from Dan Patrick as he guested on First Up. And he's talking about players and their opinion or their attitude towards championships and how that has changed over the years. That's an interesting clip. Quentin Richardson also on first stop talking about uh, you know what the Clay Thompson injury could have uh, in terms of an effect if, if Clay actually plays. And Nick Stauskas uh, guessed at an overdrive yesterday, so we'll, we'll sample some of that audio in the next segment. That'll be followed by Dave Festchuk from the Toronto Star. But right now, this. Yes guy. No guy. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, drivers and passengers, time now for the Raptors Shootaround edition of Yes Guy, No Guy. And I should add, any reproduction or retransmission of Yes Guy, No Guy in whole or in part is strictly prohibited. Don't waste your time asking for permission. No Guy. That's right. It's a No Guy. Okay, go. Let's go first. Uh, Arad, our producer, is with us. Uh, Arad, welcome in. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for having me. And uh, Eric Macromella called you a radical. A radical, yes. Can we First go with time that? I ever spoke to him, and he called me a radical. A radical. So. Can we can we go with that for a new moniker? Yes, guy. Producer, a radical. Okay, so yes, guy, no guy. Number one, the Raptors are actually the better team. I'm gonna go with yes, guy. With Kevin Durant out, the Raptors are the better team. They have more depth. They have more scoring, and they don't have to rely on Steph Curry to hit every shot. Okay, go ahead. Yes, guy, no guy. Number one, Kawhi Leonard will average 30 points a game or more for the duration of the series. Oh, I'm going to say yes, guy. Because, you know, for the Raptors to get over that speed bump, I know we need more from everybody else, or the Raptors need more from everybody else. But this guy, I mean, he he has that ability. So I'm going to say yes, guy. That would be enjoyable in the MVP. Love that. Uh, Yes, guy, no guy, number two, from this side of the glass, because a radical is on the other side of the glass. He's hiding back there in in what I call the mushroom room because it's always dark. Can you see me from there? I I can just, I can basically see the outline of your face. You can see my silhouette. That's right. That's it. Well, I do have a face for radio, so. Well, guy, guy, I didn't didn't say that. But anyway, okay, here we go. Uh, The Raptors must always have the lead in the game and the series in order to pull this off. I'm going to go with no guy because they proved against Milwaukee that they can play from behind. And I feel like sometimes when they have the lead, they get a little too easy going. They don't show that hustle that they show when they're behind. So you're going to get your first no guy today. Oh, okay. Well, actually, you weren't around earlier. I think I've already been told no guy. But anyway, that's another story. Go ahead, sir. Yes, guy. No guy. Number two, Kyle Lowry. We'll have a triple-double in either Game 3 or Game 4. Oh, the triple-double. Um, I'm going to say yes, Guy. I mean, this 
This guy from time to time gets sort of uh, controlled in terms of his output, but he's ready to burst. So I'm going to say yes, guy, to that. I mean, that that's uh, there, there's there's some possibilities on that roster. You tend to defer to the Golden State Warriors, and you should. But when you look at what people are capable of, he is more than capable of that. Will they allow him to do it? Probably not on purpose, but that doesn't mean it couldn't happen. So an emphatic yes, guy, to that. And yes. that's good news for the Raptors too. It, it is. Uh, yes, guy, no guy, number three from, again, this side of the glass in the actual studio. Oh, you sort of ripped me off there, so I'm going to go to another one. Uh, Pascal Siakam will respond big time in game three. I'm going to go with the yes, guy. The Pascal Siakam, to me, the most impressive thing about him, throw all the stats out the window, the character he's shown throughout the season, the story that has just grown and grown from a flash in the pan last winter to what is now people calling a future all-star. To me, he has a lot of character, and he's going to bounce back. He won't shoot 14 for 17, but he'll give you a nice 22 points with 10 rebounds and 3 blocks. Now, the way I look at it, I mean, this guy is the quintessential evolving story, and that goes back to Game 1. There was always an, another step for him. And so Game 1 in, in the series, I'm, I'm not talking about Game 1 of the, you know, when I said he's an evolving story, from Game 1 of the regular season. In Game 1 of the, of the NBA Finals, 32 points, and then he gets uh, dropped down to 12. And so he will make the adjustment. They adjusted to him. He will adjust to them. And away we go. He's going to have a big game. Go ahead, sir. And the final yes guy, oh. no guy from the dark side of the moon. Win or lose, Kawhi Leonard will be a Toronto Raptor next season. Oh, absolutely, yes, guy. Yes, I, I guy. Just, I just can't. I mean, I don't even get into that. I just, I just don't see why he would leave. This, this is a really good opportunity for a stud player like that. I mean, he would own the country. Are you kidding? Where else are you going to get that opportunity? Absolutely nowhere. And I feel like Masai Ujiri has done enough to earn his trust for at least, at least a couple more seasons. So there was that story that floated around yesterday. We didn't really talk about it because I don't know, I don't know the, uh, okay, we, we don't want to go with that. It's, there's nothing to it? Okay, good. Thanks for the nod off there. That's a little broadcast term. As I went down a road, he waved me off, and it's a good thing we didn't go there yesterday because it didn't have the credibility I wanted, and now it has even less. Good. Well said. Okay, let me try one more over here. This is an absolute guarantee. It is a seven-game series. Either way, it's seven games. Yes, guy. It's going to go seven games. I mean, Jim, you always talk about our pregame show. Seven-game series are punch, counterpunch. Right. The Raptors have shown it multiple times. I mean, even though they won four against Milwaukee, you could tell momentum kept shifting back and forth in that series, even though the Raptors came away with a W. And I feel like it's going to be the same thing here. Like Golden State's losing momentum with all the injuries. The Raptors are gaining a lot of momentum. So I feel like the Raptors will win Game 3, Golden State will win Game 4, and we'll just go back and forth and back and forth. I mean, really, when you, when you go over the two games, it's tied at 1. And the Raptors would certainly regret that, that run that started the second half. But do you think the Warriors... So yes, guy, no guy. The Warriors are not happy with what they've done. I'm going to say yes, guy. I don't think they are. I think they know that... They're what, maybe the best team in sports over the last four years, and they just haven't looked like the almighty world-beating Golden State Warriors that we know from the past three years, at least. I mean, you have to show respect, though, right? Because this is, this is a really good collection of basketball players, and, and they've won. They're going for number three. And I always believe that when you're at the top of the pile, when you're that good, when you're, when you're that great, Sometimes you get away with things just because you are that great. Uh, and, and I think maybe you would describe 
game two as that. They got away with something. I mean, I don't want to take anything away from an 18-0 run, but it was allowed to happen. And quite frankly, if you took that 18 run out or or even you know reduced it, let's say it was a, a, a 10-6 run, that's not much of a run. Let, let's Give me some other numbers. What, what was a 14-4 run? Yeah. I mean, that, then all of a sudden we're not talking about uh, Golden State and, and the Raptors tied at one, would we? No, we're talking about the Warriors going back home facing two must-win games back in Oracle. But, of course, they would never tell you that. The, the Warriors Absolutely would never not, say no. these are two must-win games. The Warriors would simply say we've won before, we know how to do it again, and it's going to happen. That, that is the confidence. It's not arrogance. It's absolute confidence based on what they've achieved before. So that's what you have to fight against. And, and the flip side of that is the Raptors do not have that because they haven't done it. Yeah, the Raptors, outside of Kawhi Leonard, I would say they don't have that quiet confidence you can tell in game three you know you look at the stat line and it's obvious right like when the 18 and 0 run happened Kawhi Leonard was the only guy that was still cool calm and collected and was doing his thing everybody else Pascal Siakam Kyle Lowry even Danny Green who has championship experience you could tell I wouldn't call it panic but nerves were creeping in with them what is what is the highlight of what you've seen so far the highlight to me is the fact that Nick Nurse has shown that he can coach with the best of them. Yeah, that's a good point. To me, the team has never looked fully out of it. Even during the 18-0 run, they were getting open shots, just not hitting them. So to me, he's a good, for a lack of a better term here, good coordinator, good offensive, defensive coordinator that can call great plays when his team needs it. Well, I, you know, I've, I've said this before. I have to be honest. I, I did know that that was the right decision when they made it last summer. But, boy, we've seen nothing to go against that. He's uh, certainly been impressive. Uh, the most impressive thing for me was the start of Game 1. Uh, you know, we're so used to Game 1 for a Raptors team, the struggle, the nerves. And they just looked like they belonged. And that, that told me a lot. They had that poise. They knew what to do. They won the game. And they embraced the situation. I mean, that was a, that was a tough spot. There you are, a, a, you know, North American center stage, actually the world, because it goes all over the place. Uh, and there you are uh, hosting, and there were no jitters. Uh, there were just, you know, calm execution, and they knew what to do. That's, that's a poise that I don't know that I was expecting to see. But that was really nice to watch and be there for. Impressive from the top of the roster, all the way down to the ninth man who was Patrick McCaw and came in and gave him good minutes, right? Like, if you look at game one, you can say almost everybody not named Leonard had a better game in game one than game two. That's right. And and the Warriors would probably admit after they spent too much time on Kawhi, if that's possible. Yeah, they spent too much focus on him, right? Too much of their defensive focus was, let's not let Kawhi beat us, which in the next game it became, well, this is a whole team. This isn't just one guy carrying this team, which has been, I would say, the wrong narrative, sadly, south of the border. Well, it wouldn't be the first time. Not at all. Not with this team, at least. We'll leave that one alone. Now, coming up next, we got some bullet points for for Game 3, some situations regarding health, and and some audio clips. Dan Patrick, Quentin Richardson, and Nick Stauskas uh, uh, on various, uh, on first up and and, uh, overdrive from this morning and yesterday, and then later on, Dave Festcheck from the Toronto Star will stop by. You're listening to Raptors Shootaround, TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca, also available on the TSN and iHeartRadio apps. Raptors shoot around. Next segment will be Dave Festcheck from the Toronto Star. We've got a lot of ground to cover in this segment. Jim Taddy with you until noon. Then Andy Petrolo takes over for Leafs Lunch, followed by Matt Cause, followed by Overdrive. 
Uh, there's a couple of things I want to sort of walk through with you. Uh, one of them would be that, that constant concern about people not in their seats to start the second half. And certainly if you've attended a hockey game at Scotiabank Arena or its predecessor, the ACC, you understand at the start of every period, there's this void of empty seats behind the Leafs team bench and the visiting team bench. And, and this would be the same side that the, the Raptors and, and whoever they're playing are on. And, and that happens because this is the new fan experience and these are not cheap seats uh, and, and so you have areas to go to uh, when there's an intermission much like the theater uh, there isn't a bell to bring you back uh, like the theater would or, or whether it's the ballet or whatever uh, but in this particular case uh, the business plan is uh, to make money um, outside of the ticket price and uh, you know I guess the obvious complaint would be whether well, there are people that come to your seat you could actually order on your phone um, but it's also a place to socialize and I'm not defending it but that that's just what goes on I have sat at uh, on the other side of the building uh, which would be uh, looking at the benches and there are bunkers uh, you know private bunkers underneath the the stands there that people sort of hide in or 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 enjoy the intermissions or between periods if you will and sometimes you forget that the game's on because there's nobody to tell you that and you could be watching the game and and not in this case but when the teams are bad there, there's sometimes no reason to go back to your seat you can just enjoy yourself and watch the game and you've paid your way into the building so who cares about that i mean all all the receipts are there uh, the visual is awful but, you know, this is part of the new world we live in with the new buildings. And, and in a lot of cases, well, really, North America is, is littered with this. And, and so the, the Golden State Warriors will be the latest when they start the, their action next fall because they'll be in a new building. And, and so why, you know, when you see a, a structurally sound building, do you tear it down? Because it gen, can, can't generate the money that a new one can. And, and there is a, a business plan for a, a, a building structure that I'd love to get a real estate expert on to talk about. It has It's called the economic life of a building which lasts about 40 years and then it becomes obsolete economically you can't keep writing it off and it's better to tear down and start over and start the whole process over i'm going to try and reach out to one of my real estate buddies to to explain that because it, it's a real business plan that's north american uh, obviously you can go to europe and see a building that's 2000 years old and it's totally relevant but in this case it, it's about the infrastructure and, and so when you go to an older building if you were to go to the oracle i'm sure they've redone it many times over the last 50 years the, the automatic void would be the concessions the accessibility and obviously as i said earlier when we were talking about eric the building code uh, allows for uh, pre-existing so if somebody something existed before the building code was changed it can stay because it's historic uh, and that could be anything from railings uh, steps whatever i mean there's a whole bunch of stuff that if it was to code when it was built it's still even though it violates the current code it can still sit there now, what you need out of a new building is is more square footage and and more concessions and more areas for people to walk around but also the square footage if you could walk through uh, the Scotiabank Arena when the uh, NBA finals are there or when the NHL playoffs or NBA playoffs it, it obviously gets used up more for the NBA finals because it has to house all these international reporters and and media and, and you need areas to put people uh, certainly if you go back to Maple Leaf Garden there were only a few areas and and, and so it, it's much like when you host the Canadian Open the golf the, the, the what's going on in Hamilton this week uh, you need areas to for for the PGA tour to be able to do its stuff it's not just I hate to say this because we, we look at it this way it's not just game two of the NBA finals it is the NBA finals it's not just the RBC Canadian Open it's the PGA tour they have all kinds of, of elements to engage the community and, and so it, it's a bigger thing 
and that's why you need these bigger arenas and buildings. And, and one of the drawbacks is, is they're so good and so nice that you don't actually have to sit in your seat to be totally entertained. You can be aware of the game anywhere. Remember, uh, the, the difference between 1992 and now is this little thing I have in my hand called a phone. I could watch anything on it. I mean, that obviously didn't exist in 1992. And if I don't want to use my data, somebody can tweet to me or text to me. And, and I can follow the game anywhere in the world. And, and that just obviously didn't exist before. And so, so people are so engaged in enjoying themselves and being entertained that sometimes they don't sit in their seat. And I don't know how you police that. I, I don't think you can. We have some notes here to get set for Game 3. Clay Thompson had an MRI. Diagnosis was a left hamstring tightness. So he is questionable for Game 3. If he does not play, is this the Raptors' best chance to win? I mean, you could keep going to that, and I, it is relevant. It is true. I, I don't think the players... Obviously, don't sit there and go, oh, he's not in tonight. We're going to win. I mean, you still have to win the game. So, I mean, that, that's sort of one of those periphery things. But, but the relevant fact is, if he does play, and we got into this with Pascal Siakam earlier uh, in the playoffs where he had that calf injury, and he came back and was, he was running around and looked pretty good defensively, but offensively he was dreadful. And I can't remember. That was in the Philadelphia series, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And, the, and that one game he looked dreadful, and then, then he, he came out of it. So this is um, Quentin Richardson, former NBA player on first up. And uh, he's talking with Michael Landsberg and Carlo Goliakovo. And Richardson was asked, uh, he was a sharp shooter similar to Clay Thompson, if the hamstring injury impacts a shooter. For myself, it would be, it, it's not as difficult for me to shoot because I didn't, I didn't jump a lot. I didn't have a lot of lift on my shot, so it was more arms than anything. But the hamstring definitely affects everything else. The running, Clay is a two-way player. He defends great. He runs the transition hard. The hamstring absolutely affects all of those things. So, Quentin, uh, for talking body parts here, uh, let's talk about Kevin Durant and, and his calf injury. Um, do you expect, with what he's dealing with, that we could see him in this finals? At this point, I believe so. The fact that he's been doing one-on-one uh, drills and playing one-on-one, some light stuff, and now they're upgrading him to possibly practicing. Let's say one thing. In the playoffs, past the Eastern, past the finals, uh, well, conference finals, there's no practicing. They're like, you know, going over plays, making corrections, going over things. Nobody is practicing. Neither of those teams are doing any practicing right now. Practice is coming through, watching film and doing things like that. So whatever they put KD through, that would be special for him with some of the other guys that aren't banged up and aren't playing. It would be three on three or something. He won't get any type of simulation of a real practice at this point. So for him, and the level of player he is, it'll be how do you feel, and then let's put him and try and push him a little bit, push the calf and see how hard he could go. But he won't get a practice. Uh, we're joined by Quentin Richardson uh, from ESPN. Uh, has uh, has done tons of things, actually, since retiring. It wasn't that long ago. I mentioned those uh, those 53 days in the summer of 2013. He was part of a massive deal, the Andrea Bargnani deal, uh, but never actually played for the Toronto Raptors. One of the things we heard, um, I guess it was a different broadcaster, Stephen A. Smith and a few others, saying that KD at 70% is better than other players at 90%. And my contention would be, you can't play in the NBA at 70%. It's pro sports, man. If you're limping, if you're hobbling, you're of no use to anyone. Do you agree with that? No. I completely disagree. I mean, right now, your Toronto Raptors are, are, are benefiting from a Kawhi Leonard who is far less than 100%. 
I don't know where he is, but he is not 100%. He's not himself. He hasn't had a dunk in the first two games, and we know the athlete he is. I know how explosive and how, how strong he is, and he hasn't been that in these first two games. And I believe it's because of the, the load he's carried this entire playoffs, and, he, and we saw he kind of tweaked his knee or something in the, in the conference finals. So I think we're seeing the effects of that. So I definitely believe that KD at 70%, 80% or whatever it may be, can be more effective than some of the other players that they have on the Warriors. Just because he's a seven-foot, I mean, look at Dirk. Dirk is still able to play in his 20th or whatever year it was because he's a seven-footer that can shoot. So KD can turn and shoot over people in the mid-post or the post, and he can be effective in a lot of different ways, even if he isn't at full strength. Can he be effective defensively playing at 70%? I mean, you can limit a guy in his role in the offense, right? But you can't limit what he's going to do defensively to some extent because the other team will determine that. And you don't make it to the NBA Finals if you're not good at exposing the other team's weaknesses. That's absolutely true. But, I mean, KD, once again, I say he is seven foot and he has extreme length. So he's able to play multiple positions. They can, If they play a, a Serge or a Mark Gasol, they can hide him on different people depending on how, how well he's able to move. So he's not always going to be in a position that he has to be running out there chasing behind somebody that's moving around a lot. So those are the different things that Kerr can try to do to protect him when he gets out there, if he even gets out there. Quit. That is Quentin Richardson for first stop with Michael Ansberg and Carlo Koliakovo. And so let's move on to the Kevon Looney story. He is out indefinitely with a collarbone fracture. And here's his value. According to ESPN Stats and Info, prior to this injury in Game 2, Golden State was 12.6 per 100 possessions with Looney on the floor this postseason, the best mark of any player on the roster. And so you come out of that. And you might say, well, what about Durant? Do they, do they force him back? My attitude on that would be you'd only consider that or even think about that if you were down in the series. They're not. Uh, and then you get into that mentality of, well, why not? I mean, they're after another championship here. Wouldn't you sacrifice everything? And so we go to a clip from Dan Patrick, who also guested on First Up this morning. And he talked about the changing attitude of players in championships. Yeah, you know, in the previous series, I thought, well, I wonder if he sits out. I wonder if they try to protect him a little bit. I didn't know, you know, because we had the situation with the Spurs, and I thought, boy, how sensitive are the Raptors of, hey, Kawhi, if you want to sit out, you know, load management, even though it's the playoffs, uh, then, you know, make sure you do that. We want you healthy. I never thought of that before. You know, when we used to watch sports, you always thought the guy comes off the bench and he plays, and oh, my gosh, he unbelievable, heroic. That's not the case anymore. There's so much money at stake for these guys. When they're going to make $50 million a year, it's an investment. They're business people. And I don't think they look at championships the way we do or we did. That is a real interesting take. And when you think about it, I mean, when you go to fight for money, when, you, when you're arguing about your market value, remember, it is based on what you did in the regular season. That's a fascinating business plan that, that almost uh, you know, flies in the face of common sense, but, but that's, that's the currency. So a couple of thoughts here. If Thompson is out, and we don't know, but if he's out for Game 3, do the Raptors and, and you, I mean, do you look at this as a must-win? Because it is an opportunity. Obviously, you can't say that you know, because he's not there, it's an easy win. You always have to earn the win. But, but I think you might look at that as, as an absolutely rare opportunity that you must take advantage of 
couple of other thoughts. Uh, Kawhi Leonard with the lawsuit uh, with Nike over the claw and the shoe. Is that a distraction for him and the team? Well, I don't believe it is for the team. And quite frankly, I don't, I don't know that uh, maybe Kawhi had to sign a paper or something, but he's got people that do this for him. He He's not running around figuring out his legal strategy, I would assume, and I think it's a, a pretty easy assumption that there are people that, are, that have advised him and are looking after this. Are we reading too much into Kawhi buying property in Toronto? Well, I mean, anything the guy does... You're going to over overreact to it or, or assume that it means something, and, and that's a pretty good sign. But you know, again, you know that's something that you want to ask yourself to deal with a couple of weeks from now. And in the meantime, you know he's not going to be on the court going. I wonder what the property taxes are. Come on, this stuff's irrelevant to him. Uh, and we also got to, into this earlier. An average of 4.3 million watched Game Two on TSN, CTV2, and RDS, making it the most most watched basketball game in Canadian history and the single most watched sports broadcast of the year after the Super Bowl. Now, that's after game two. What if there was a game seven? I want to see what those numbers are. I want to see what the 50-50 draw is. It was 491,000 on Sunday night. Arad, I may have to spend 40 bucks. There's a game seven. I may have to go deep. I mean, I, it's got to be. Now, question is, if you win the 50-50 draw, will you stick around after? <laughs> to do the post game? Yes. Oh, absolutely. I'll be laughing for four hours. I'll be, <laughs> I'll be hysterical. <laughs> and then you'll be on a three-month-long vacation. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to order up a limo to get me home. But, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that would be uh, a new level of happiness uh, never attained before. Yeah, no, no question about that. Nick Staskis was on Overdrive yesterday, asked if he feels good about the Raptors' chances since they have won big games on the road this postseason. I think they can steal, I think they can steal one on the road uh, in, in either Game 3 or Game 4. Um, I think they're in a good position. To be honest, I, I only... Coming in this series, I thought they might only win one game, but after watching these two, I think that I think they can win maybe one or two more. But I still don't know if they can win the series. So, in which way has your you know optimism uh, elevated here? What have you seen that leads leads you to believe, even though you don't think they're going to win the series, that they can push it to to six or maybe seven? I th- I just feel like they're not scared at all. You know, I've I've got the feeling that they feel like they belong there. And um, I think for a lot of teams that match up the war, uh, match up against the Warriors, that's not normally the case. You know, I feel like normally there's, you know, whether guys are nervous or anxious or a little bit too pumped up to play them, like uh, it, it, it affects people's game. But in terms of how the Raptors have looked, like they look like they belong there. They look like they think they can win this series. So uh, that's what's given me a little bit of confidence. I still don't know if they can win the whole thing, but. Uh, they definitely look good uh, through two games. Do you think that KD will show up at any point in this series? Like, do you have a gut feeling or any type of instinct? I, I think he will. I, I feel like he will. Because I, I also just think that um, for him, if he if they win a championship and he doesn't play, I think he understands there's going to be like a huge asterisk next to, a, to this championship on his resume because he didn't play. So I think he's going to do whatever it takes to at least play in a couple games. But... I don't know. I guess no one really knows how serious this calf injury is or, or what actually happened. So, um, but yeah, maybe get, maybe game four and game five. I don't know. Well, without him and without Clay Thompson, um, you know, needless to say, that really affects the flow of their offense. And I think it really changes Steph Curry and his abilities because, you know, he's an all-time great player. We know that. But 
he's not going. He's not big enough and strong enough to live at the rim. You know, he he can't play like Kawhi can play. Where Kawhi <laughs> last night just said, "Okay, my shot's not dropping. I'll get to the line 16 times. I'll be aggressive. Yeah. I'll put my shoulder down, and I'm going to force you to put me into a position where I will score." Steph Curry. He needs decoys to give him a split second to get open. And last night, you could you, you saw it in the last five minutes. He couldn't get anything going. He could not yeah. get anything going. So if Durant's not playing and Klay Thompson, who I think will play, but let's say he's at 75 or 80%, I, I got to be honest, I, I'm, I think it might expose Steph Curry a little bit. Yeah, well, I think if if Clay and KD aren't playing, then that changes that changes everything. Uh, then I, I would pick the Raptors to win the series, but I'm assuming that Clay will still be good to go at some point. So, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. It's gonna be interesting. You made a good point. Like obviously, Steph needs those guys. He needs other decoys on the floor to do what he does. Uh, and you're seeing it firsthand right now. Like he's having to work so hard for everything. Like the Raptors are just chasing him all over the floor. He's having to run off a bunch of screens or being physical with them. Uh, and that, I mean, with Clay, with Clay, if Clay's out next game and KD's out, he's going to have to work that much harder. And uh, over a seven-game series, that wears you out a little bit. So, uh, I guess we'll see. We will see. You know, listening to that reminded me of that 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 picture, that view when when the Raptors come up with that defense, that just absolute shutdown, stifling defense, as they did in the late going against the Warriors in Game Two, as they did. Uh, repeatedly against the Bucks with the game on the line. I mean, that's always the key to success for the Raptors. I mean, uh, you know, and it's, for some reason, the, the the defense creates the shooting. All this stuff is hand in glove. And, uh, you know, I just sometimes you forget about how good they are defensively, but that, that's sort of the key to things. And we'll see what happens. Uh, so, Clay Thompson has the hamstring tightness. We were talking about Siakam earlier in the earlier round against Philadelphia. That was a calf injury. So those are different things and have different effects. Coming up next, Dave Festchuk will join us from the Toronto Star from the streets of San Francisco. This is Raptors Shootaround, TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca, also available on the TSN and iHeartRadio apps. You know, it's kind of sad because nobody ever writes a song about Oakland. It's like... I'm in San Francisco. The game's in Oakland. It doesn't matter. I'm in San Francisco. If you've been there, you understand. There's quite a difference. Uh, there's a lot of San Francisco stuff. I left my heart in San Francisco. Streets of San Francisco used to be a TV show way back when with Michael Douglas. Do you believe that? Michael Douglas did TV. All kinds of stuff. All kinds of references. Dave Festchuk is here from San Francisco, Toronto Star Sports columnist. Dave, how are you today, sir? Yeah, lovely San Francisco, uh, Jim. Everything's going great out here in the Bay Area. Uh, when you look back over the first two games, I mean, you know, I'm not going to say that you went into this with with uh, a thought that it was going to transpire a certain way, but but what's the difference from what you may have expected to what you actually saw? Well, look, I mean, I I, I wasn't particularly surprised uh, with what we saw because we knew that the Golden State Warriors were vulnerable, and we they certainly looked that way in Game One. What surprised me in Game Two, uh, Jim, was the lack of help for Kawhi Leonard that suddenly resurfaced. That was a storyline that we saw in the Philly series. It was a storyline at times in the Milwaukee series, certainly where they were down 0-2. And we saw it again in game two where as, as good as Kawhi Leonard was, uh, it was another 34-point performance, not particularly efficient, but he's going to need more from Pascal Siakam. He's going to need more from Kyle Lowry. He's going to need more help from uh, Mark Gasol and on down the list. And and that surprised me that the lack, that the that the others on the Raptors uh, didn't particularly uh, perform in Game Two, and I think it was a huge problem. 
Well, you go back to that void uh, in the third quarter. I mean, that was all Kawhi. They had 21 points. He had 12. Everybody was missing in action. That was pretty desperate, wasn't it? Yeah, and Siakam, I think, was one for seven in that quarter. Really didn't didn't provide much. He did not. The thing that bothered me about Siakam in that game, Tim, and I don't know how you saw it, but but he just looked like he was a little bit afraid. Like he did, he looked like he wasn't a willing shooter. Like he looked like he wasn't a willing attacker. And we all know that when when Siakam's at his best, and we've seen it, we've seen it, at, and we saw it in Game One, and we've seen it throughout the playoffs in spurts. Uh, he's an attacker. He go, he goes at people. He he makes it very difficult on the defense. He puts a lot of pressure on the defensive players. Uh, he didn't do that in game two. And it's it's kind of interesting how he's kind of gone from one game being super effective, the next game having a real clunker. Uh, it's not sustainable if these guys want to win the championship. Well, in that battle with Green, I mean, Green got embarrassed in game one. He wasn't prepared. He, he didn't know what to do, and, and he pushed back to Siakam. So I guess the ultimate question would be, can Siakam respond? Because Green's not going to change. Well, that's for sure, yeah. We did. Like, I mean, you're talking about a guy who, who, who knows how to respond when his reputation and his pride are on the line, and that's really what it was for Draymond Green. I mean, this is a guy who comes into this series saying, yeah, I'm no less than the greatest defender in the history of the sport. Uh, and he talked about how, you know, he may or may not believe that, but he certainly he made a case about why you have to believe that as a player. If you want to be great, you have to believe you're great. And, and, and certainly that's his logic for saying such braggadocious things, Jim. But, yeah, I mean, he, he backed it up in game two, man, to, to come an assist away from a triple-double. I think that would have been the first back-to-back triple-double uh, going back to, I think, maybe Will Chamberlain, or maybe, maybe Magic Johnson, I have to double-check that, but it was a, you'd be going back to, uh, to have back-to-back NBA Finals triple-doubles has only been done by a short list of greats, and he, was, he nearly added his name to that list. So Pascal Siakam has to do exactly the same thing. You know, where does a point of pride that he's going to respond in Game 3? You know, I, I, I didn't expect to be in this position. Going into Game 3, the, the Warriors have, I want to say, almost four question marks. And, and the, the question mark that the Raptors have to deal with is, as you said off the top, uh, Kawhi is a known quantity. Could everybody else please step up? It, it's an interesting premise going into Game 3 that, that the Warriors would have more question marks, isn't it? Yeah, and, and, and they're all they're all health-related, right? Yeah. So we're not going to We I don't expect when we roll up to uh, the practice court today, uh, as we're going to do in the next couple hours, I don't expect we're going to get full transparency, Jim, on exactly what's going on with the health of Clay Thompson and his hamstring. Uh, we've heard Kev- Kevon Looney is not going to be playing uh, after that uh, injury to his collarbone shoulder area. Uh, but I, I don't think we're going to get any further transparency on the health of Kevin Durant uh, and, and what's going to happen with him. There's, there's all kinds of rampant speculation about whether or not Durant will play in this series. Uh, I've, I've actually seen with my own eyes Durant shooting half-speed jump shots on the court at Scotiabank Arena last week. And to my eye, I mean, you know, even though he was shooting half-speed, it looked as though he would be able, you know, this is, it looked like a guy who wasn't too far away from playing basketball. And now I know there's risk involved with the calf. Uh, you know, Steve Kerr has talked about how, hey, if you, if you, once you kind of re-injure that, you're going to be done for the series, which obviously speaks to the precaution they're taking and not, bringing him back any sooner than they need him. But I would expect he would resurface at some point, especially if the Warriors find themselves in a moment of crisis here. But, man, that, that is a lot of question marks. And, of course, the health of Steph Curry, who was dehydrated and not feeling well uh, in Game 2, uh, is also on that list. 
It, it is curious, though, that the Warriors would, would have those kind of question marks and, and be in a position not of strength, because normally they deal the cards, and, and they, they are capable from time to time, but, but not as strong as they once were. No, but all that said, Jim, you know, we talked about how this team doesn't have any depth, and yet they go out and play 12 guys uh, significant minutes in game two, you know, and they, and they got, you know, a guy like Quinn Cook coming off, coming out of nowhere and making, uh, you know, three three pointers. You got Andrew Bogut, who didn't even play in game one, and he shows up and helps run that offense to a tee and gets those three lob dunks that, that hurt the Raptors. So, I got to say, that's one thing about that team that, that kind of does amaze you is that, you know, the, the lack of depth was a storyline for them all year. You know, and you're right, they're not what they were maybe at their height, uh, especially when Durant isn't with them. But, man, did they respond in, in kind in, in game two to, to sort of find ways to get a few buckets because ultimately that, we know that's all they really need with Curry and a, a healthy Thompson firing um, it's kind of like the Raptors with Kawhi. They, they don't need a lot more, but they need something more from a variety of guys. I, I was curious, uh, and I'd like your take on, on Cousins, because for me in Game 1, even though he only played the eight minutes, this is a big man. You noticed him every time he was out there. And he approached Game 2 almost with a hockey mentality of early hits, and he got away with some stuff and, and really set the tone, didn't he? That's a great way to put it. You know, I hadn't thought of it quite in quite that way, but you're right. He did, he did kind of... He did set the tone and uh, w- with that type of mentality. And that's, that's another interesting transformation because obviously there's a guy who, who's been humbled in this league, you know, playing on a one-year deal for $5 bucks uh, after, after the kind of career he has had. Um, you know, you don't think of Boogie Cousins and sort of role-playing selflessness in the same sentence, and yet that's where he is in his career. And I thought he, he did a, a marvelous job in game two. And frankly, you know, that could be a factor – uh, going forward here, the, we all know how talented this guy is. This guy's an all-NBA type of talent, a guy who can fill it up at his best. And, and suddenly, you know, he's making threes. He's, he's driving to the bucket with some confidence, uh, even though he's coming off, you know, two horrific injuries in the Achilles and the quad. Uh, man, if he can come on, that could patch some of the holes with the absence of Looney, with the, uh, with obviously, with we're not knowing about what's going to happen with Durant. Uh, an emerging Cousins could be a problem for the Raptors. Yeah, I'm going to refer to the quiet story now, just because it, it's so it, it, it moves along so quietly, and, and uh, it's it's kind of something that you may miss. But but the coaching matchup, Kerr against Nick Nurse. Uh, Nick Nurse is just phenomenal. I think he's done an excellent job. Oh no doubt. I mean, it's it's, it's very difficult to poke holes at, at anything Nick Nurse has done. I think he, he's he's done a marvelous job. He's you know I guess if you if you're if you're poking holes at anything. Uh, maybe you know the, the the reliance on the ISO ball with Kawhi, but I think that's that's Kawhi centric. Maybe I think it does speak to when Kawhi is at his worst and when he is easiest to guard. I do think he gets bogged down in the dribble, 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 uh, and waiting, waiting, waiting for something to uh, emerge. Uh, but I also think that speaks, Jim, to you know not necessarily a coaching thing, but a faith in teammates thing, like the. He doesn't move the ball as quickly when he sees other guys aren't willing receptors of the ball and willing shooters and willing attackers. I would speak of Siakam in that in that term. If he knows Marcus All is not in the mood to shoot it, he's not moving it to Marcus All. So um, you know, you know. So the way this team has been handled by Nurse, very very tough to criticize. Uh, but the way that the 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 Warriors move the ball, you know, to have you know eighty seven percent assist rate, which was an NBA Finals uh, record going back to the sixties. 
to, to assist on all their field goals in the second half. Uh, a, it speaks to Steve Kerr's coaching, but I do think it speaks to the incredible uh, IQ of their personnel and, and, and what, the reason why they've won three of the last four championships. Uh, the only negative thing I could ever say about the Raptors, and I think it would be applicable even during the regular season, is they don't seem to adjust when the three ball isn't working. They just won't drive. They, they, just, they sort of live and die with that, don't they? That's the analytics age we're living in, uh, Jim. I think there's a, there's a real reason for that, and it's that you know, teams have decided their philosophy relies on playing the percentages of continuing to shoot the three, even when the three isn't falling. And so you get phenomenals like you got last year uh, in the Western Conference Final where, where, uh, where Houston missed 28 threes in a row because they're just so locked into to the belief that you know, this will work eventually, and they'll keep banging their head against that wall even when it's not working to a fault, I think. Uh, and that's, you know, analytics, take them, take them or leave them. They're here to stay, and teams believe in them, and they will believe in them, uh, you know, even if they're going down with the ship. Need a better game out of Kyle, too, right? Yeah, and I think, you know, it's, 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 it's going to be a problem for Kyle, I think, because it's a nightmare matchup, right? There's a reason why Fred Van Vliet's playing 35 minutes uh, a game, because someone's got to chase Steph Curry around. It can't be Kyle Lowry. You can't ask him to do that at age 33 because that's just an exhausting task. Um, and so, you know, you have to play the two-point guards if you're playing Lowry and Van Vliet. Uh, the matchup isn't ideal for him. He's, we know he's dealing with that left thumb injury, which seems to be limiting his ball handling. I'm not sure how it's affecting his shooting. It's not his shooting hand, but, of course, you do use both hands to shoot. Um, but I, So I do think he hasn't been as uh, confident a ball handler um, he continues to be the defensive menace that he is, trying to step in and take charges. But, but yeah, I think he's got. I, I think it's a myth that he doesn't need to give them something on the offensive end, Jim. I think his shooting is important, just for spacing purposes, and also, you know, to add to the total. I mean, Nick Nurse has said it. I, I, he, Nick Nurse has talked about how you know you, you, defense is one thing, but you got to score against these guys. And there's too many, too many times in this playoffs, Jim, where where they've been really stuck for somebody who could throw it in the basket, and, and Kyle's got to be one of those guys, if not the most prominent outside of Kawhi. Dave, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. Hey, good talking to you, Jim. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. That's Dave Festcheck from the Toronto Star reporting to us from San Francisco. So it's odd that the Warriors, dominant Warriors, would have all these question marks. Clay Thompson, Devon Looney is out. Iguodala, who's the guy who's always hurt, is like the sick guy who outlives everybody. And, and KD, I mean, they've got all these questions that have to be answered. And the Raptors' only question is, could everybody just chip in and help Kawhi out? And that's where we sit, getting set for Game 3. We'll have pregame coverage starting at 7 tomorrow night live here on TSN 1050. Uh, followed by the game is called by Paul Jones and Jack Armstrong with the halftime report. Uh, me and Matt Cause, and I hope you can join us for that. Thanks for being with us today.